Did you enjoy that responsive reading earlier this morning? Some of you were probably thinking, is this ever going to end, right? I mean, but uh, 26 times, 26 times, Psalm 136 encourages us to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Now, friends, I was thinking about that this week. Why would we need a song that reminds us of this truth some 26 times, right? I mean, God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the psalmist to write this song, 26 repetitious lines reminding us that God's steadfast love endures forever. Friends, I think the reason why that God gave us this abundant repetition of that important line is because we are forgetful creatures. Would you agree with that? We are forgetful creatures. From birth to the grave, we humans struggle with forgetfulness. In fact, how many of you parents this morning had to remind your kids, brush your teeth, please, or, you know, working on manners with your kids at home over and over again? How many of you high school students here this morning have spent hours poring over flashcards, right, trying to remember your exam questions the next day at school? Or husbands, husbands, how many of you have set your anniversary date to annual repeat on your iPhone calendar? Why? Because you're forgetful. And if you haven't done that, you're also foolish, But friends, in this fallen world that we live in, because of our corrupt sin nature, there's one area that we're especially prone to forget. And and I'm not exactly sure why it is that God made us this way, but I found it to be true that we are especially prone to forget the great spiritual truths of God recorded for us in Scripture. Have you found that reality yourselves? I don't know if it's the distractions of this world or what, but, but it's so easy to forget the, the truths that we find in God's word. And so we need reminders of these things. You know, let's just take a little test this morning to see if my theory is true on this. How many of you remember, without looking at your notes, the title of my sermon from last Sunday? Raise your hand. Oh, well, pretty good. One week. Nobody. Thank you. <laughs> So I guess my follow-up question, you remember what psalm we studied last week? Anybody? No? Okay. Do you remember the verse from Psalm 16, a song of trust? That was the outline for our sermon last Sunday. Psalm 1611. Thank you. I think two people got it. Maybe cheating looking at your notes. But again, friends, that just simply proves my point. We are forgetful creatures. And so this is why God gives us passages like Psalm 136. Because God wants us to repeat these great truths about who he is, about all that he's done for us throughout history. Why? So that these truths might be hammered deep into our hearts and impressed securely into our souls. We need that repetition. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Friends, don't forget it. And to make sure you don't forget it, God's going to repeat that time and time and time again throughout our psalm this morning. His steadfast love endures forever. 
Well, this morning we're going to take a deeper look here at this psalm, Psalm 136. I've titled this message this morning, A Song of History. But it could just as easily be titled, A Song of Praise. For that's what we find here in Psalm 136. It's a song of praise for all that God has done throughout history in the lives of his people, the Israelites, and throughout all of creation. This song is, is, is called a Hallel song. In the Psalms, there's a series of songs known as Hallel songs. These were songs of praise that God's people would sing at the three great annual festivals of Judaism. Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which is a celebration of the harvest, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And God's people would sing these Hallel songs in praise to the Lord. And in fact, Hallel, this is where we get our English word hallelujah from. What does the word hallelujah mean? It means praise the Lord, right? Hallel, to give praise, Yah, the Lord, Yahweh, praise the Lord. All right, that's where the term hallelujah comes from. So we're going to take a deeper look this morning at this song of history, this song of praise. And Psalm 136 can be divided into three main sections. Psalm 136, the psalmist calls us to praise God. Why? Number one, we praise God for his glorious being. Verses one through three. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist begins reminding us to praise God. Why? Because he is glorious in his being. He begins by reminding us of the call to give thanks. To give thanks in Hebrew, it's it's an interesting word. It's a very short word. It's yada in the Hebrew. Yada, and it means to confess or acknowledge what we know to be true of God's glory or his deeds in our lives and throughout history. We're to be people who give thanks, a people of thanksgiving. Friends, thanksgiving isn't just a once a year holiday. Thanksgiving should be a daily reality in the lives of God's people. Why? Because as God's people, we remember who he is And all that he's done. And in those remembrances, it should inspire us to give thanks. Now in our passage this morning, our psalmist begins by reminding us of three truths of God's glorious being. He he reminds us first of all that God is self-existent and good. He's self-existent and good. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Now, as we've seen so many times this summer in our series in the Psalms, the word for God that the psalmist uses is often very intentionally chosen. Here in line one, verse one, give thanks to the Lord. The word Lord there is the Hebrew word Yahweh. 
And again, we've talked about this. Yahweh is the personal name of God. It's his self-revealed name. When Moses was about to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, God appeared to Moses. Moses said, you know, Lord, who should I tell them sent me? You know, who, by whose authority am I leading these people? And God said to Moses, you tell them that I am has sent you. That's the word Yahweh, I am. God says, I am who I am. Now, what exactly does that mean? God is conveying to his people in his very name that he is the self-existent and eternal one. He had no beginning. He has no end. He is who he is. He has always been and he always will be. Who made God? No one made God. He's self-existent and eternal. God explains this further for us in, in other passages of Scripture, like Revelations 1.8, for example. In Revelations 1.8, we read God himself telling us, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? In Greek, it means I'm the beginning and I am the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. So first and foremost, we, we discover here in our passage that God is self-existent. But next, we discover here in verse 1 that he's also good. In essence, in being, this almighty self-existent one is good. And the Hebrew word for good is another interesting word. It's, it's tov. And it's a hard word to define for translators because it has a whole bunch of meanings. It can mean beautiful, best, bountiful, cheerful, at ease, fair, fine, glad, gracious, joyful, kind, loving, merry, pleasant, precious, sweet. It can mean all of those things. It's all wrapped up into this one word, and that's who God says he is. I am the self-existent, eternal one, and I am good in all of these ways. Isn't that an incredible thought to think about? This is who our God is. Self-existent, eternal, and good. When I was in college and seminary, I, I, uh, I did my uh, college degree and my master's degree in philosophy. And uh, as a philosophy major, one of my uh, favorite areas of study were some of the philosophical arguments for the existence of God. One of my favorite arguments for the existence of God is an argument called the ontological argument for the existence of God. The word ontological or ontology just means the, a, a state of being, what is, okay? And the ontological argument for the existence of God was first formulated by a guy named Anselm, an 11th century theologian from Canterbury, England. And the ontological argument for the existence of God goes like this. Think of the greatest conceivable being. All right, do this with me for a moment. Think of the greatest conceivable being. What would that being be like? Self-existent, no beginning, no end, eternal, good, loving, gracious, pleasant, a just being, right? Like when you start to think about the greatest conceivable being, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, present everywhere at once, right? Pretty soon you start to think about this greatest conceivable being sure sounds a lot like the God of the Bible, right? 
Now, here's where the ontological argument gets interesting. If you can think of the greatest conceivable being, then that being has to exist because if he didn't exist, he wouldn't be the greatest conceivable being. Think about that this afternoon. If you can think of the greatest conceivable being, that being has to exist because if he didn't exist, he wouldn't be the greatest conceivable being. I paid $50,000 for that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but I love that argument for the existence of God. Who is our God? He is ontologically in his nature, in his being. He is self-existent. He is eternal. He is good. The second truth that the psalmist points us to as we praise God for his glorious being is his supreme rank. He is supreme in rank. Verse 2 goes on to tell us, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the God of gods. The, the word there for God in this verse is Elohim. Elohim means the supreme God, the mighty God, the mighty one. And, and the psalmist says, give thanks to our God because he is the God of all gods. Out of all the spiritual beings created by the mighty one, by the supreme God, he is supreme. He is the mighty God. He is God of gods. Earlier this year, I was speaking at another church down in the Twin Cities, and after my, after my uh, message, which was on the uniqueness of Jesus Christ in a world of religions, I had an interesting conversation. A couple came up to me, and they were recently retired missionaries who had served in Erie and Jaya next to Papua New Guinea, down in the South Pacific Ocean, an island nation. They lived among people who were formerly headhunters and cannibals. And they shared with me an interesting story about how the people in the village where they went to serve and share the gospel, they used to believe and worship the, the spirits, the gods of nature. These gods who lived in the forests and the rocks and the trees and the rivers. And, and they lived in fear every day about these gods. Because these gods could either help you or harm you depending on how you related to them. These missionaries shared with me when they first came into the village, they discovered after a couple of days that the people in this village were all afraid of one particular tree that was just outside their village. They wouldn't go near this tree. And, and these missionaries explained to me that they called it the witch's tree. It was where the local shaman would come and perform sacrifices and rituals to either curse people or seek blessing on people from the gods, the spirits of nature. But the people wouldn't go near this tree. It was a cursed tree. So these missionaries, you know what they decided to do? They decided to pitch their tent right at the foot of that tree. People say, you can't, you can't camp there. The, 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 the gods will kill you. You're going to get sick. You're going to get diseased. A week went by and the missionaries were still camped under that tree. Pretty soon the people of the village started coming to them, asking them, tell us, how are you able to live and survive here under the witch's tree? And they shared it's because we serve the God of gods, the supreme God, the mighty one. Pretty soon the people of the village wanted to learn more about this mighty God, this mighty God who protected these missionaries from the spirits that they had lived in fear over for so many years. Pretty soon, these people began to put their trust in the God of gods, Elohim, the mighty one. Pretty soon, the people of the village decided, you know what, we want to follow your mighty God. 
And they went and they cut down the witch's tree. And today, where the witch's tree used to stand, there now stands a church dedicated to the one supreme God, the God of gods, the mighty God. Friends, that's what our psalmist calls us to praise God for. He's not denying the reality of other principalities and powers and spiritual beings in our universe, but there is a supreme God who is God above all gods, and that is the God that we worship, friends. That is the God of Scripture. Not only is our God self-existent and good, supreme in rank, but thirdly, we discover in our psalm that he is sovereign in rule. Verse 3 of our passage this morning, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Friends, our God is the Lord of lords. Here, the word for God is Adonai. It means Lord or master. He is master of all masters. He is Lord of all lords. He is king of all kings. Now, friends, please understand this morning. It is no small thing to call God Lord of lords. In fact, that, that statement is a very significant and consequential statement. Three weeks ago, our nation celebrated Independence Day, July 4th. What, what do we celebrate every year on July 4th? What, what is this independence we're celebrating? We are celebrating our independence from Great Britain and the tyranny of King George over our founding fathers and the colonialists here in the United States of America. And every July 4th, we celebrate our freedom as a nation, freedom from tyranny. And friends, do you know that the seeds of that great rebellion, that great revolution, the seeds of that revolution are found right here in verse 3. Our God is Lord of Lords. This is the seeds of that revolution. Our founding fathers, our men and women who started this country were people of faith who understood that our God is Lord of Lords. And it is this fundamental principle that ultimately gave rise to the Western democratic notions of freedom and liberty that we so enjoy today. See, the question of who is Lord of Lords has profound significance. Is the king sovereign or is God sovereign? Is Pharaoh Lord or is Yahweh Lord? Is Caesar master or is Jesus master? Friends, understand this morning how you answer those questions will determine in large part whether you live in slavery or whether you live in freedom. And this has been true throughout history. See, the reality is, if a people isn't submitted to Yahweh as Lord, then someone else is going to step in to fill that void. A chieftain, a king, an emperor, a dictator, even the state. We've seen this reality throughout history. And make no mistake, friends, it's no mistake there's there, there, there's no coincidence that it's only in nations that embrace the great truths of scripture and the gospel where freedom and liberty reign this is true all over the world and the inverse of this is also true 
the more a people turn their backs on God, the less free those people become. Why do we see the rise of authoritarianism around the world today? It's because nation after nation has turned their back on the Lord of Lords. Friends, don't ever neglect the freedoms we have in here in America. But more importantly, don't ever forget where those freedoms truly come from. Yahweh, Yahweh God, the Lord of Lords. We submit to him as king. So we praise God here for his glorious being. But secondly, this morning, the psalmist calls us to praise God for his gracious blessings. Here we come to the, really the bulk of our passage this morning, verses 4 through 25. And here, the psalmist points us back to God's deeds throughout history. This is, this is why we can rightly refer to this psalm as a psalm of history. Because the psalmist points us back, recounting God's many gracious blessings to his people, the Israelites. But, but not only to his people, the Israelites, but really to all of creation. And he highlights here a number of gracious blessings that the Lord has given us. The, the first of these gracious blessings that we see here, we're called to praise God. Why? Because of the blessing of creation. Verses 4 through 9. Listen to what the psalmist says here. To him alone who does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. The psalmist points us to God's work in creation. And notice, the goal of the psalmist here isn't to bring glory to creation, but it's to point people to the glory of God through creation. This is what's referred to as general revelation. It's the idea that we can see God and his glory reflected in what he has made. This is what King David does, for example, in Psalm 19, 1 through 4. This famous passage, King David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, nor no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. David tells us we can discern and understand realities about our God, the creator, by what he has made, by the wonders of his creation. This past week, NASA revealed some new images from our newest telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, which was launched this past year on Christmas Day. Just two weeks ago, NASA started revealing to the public the first images. This is now the largest telescope in outer space. It's larger than the Hubble telescope, and it's taking pictures with new resolution, new details, revealing never-before-seen stars, never-before-seen galaxies, and the images coming back are literally blowing people's minds when you recognize the detail. You can see here side by side the Hubble telescope versus the James Webb telescope, the incredible detail that is being revealed. Now here's a question. Why would God make all of this stuff? 
Stars in galaxies millions of light years away. Stars in galaxies that no human being is ever even going to get close to. But God made all of these, thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands of these galaxies throughout the universe. Why? Why would God do all this, friends? Friends, I would argue that God gives us these visions of his glory to wow us and to bring us to our knees in humility before him. As King David says in Psalm 8, 3 through 4, David says, Who is man that you are mindful of him? human beings that you care for them. He he looks up at the skies and he says to God, who am I? Who am I in light of all of these wondrous creations you've made? And friends, the answer to that question is truly astounding. God says you're far more valuable than all the stars. God made us in his image. He crowned us with glory and honor. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins. And if you put your trust in him, you can live in a personal relationship with God for all of eternity. Wow. It's just incredible. Friends, do you see why the psalmist calls us to praise God for the blessing of creation? It's because through creation, we get a greater appreciation for who our God is. And his amazing grace. The the second of God's gracious blessings then that the psalmist points us to. He he next brings us to the pinnacle event of God's faithfulness in Old Testament history. The Exodus. Verses 10 through 16. God's leading of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. The people of Israel had spent 430 years in Egypt. Most of that time as slaves. And then God raised up Moses. And sent plagues against Pharaoh and the Egyptians to convince them to let his people go. And here in verses, <coughs> excuse me, verses 10 through 16, the psalmist recounts these mighty acts of God to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness. Here the psalmist is summarizing these great events, God raising up Moses, the ten plagues against Israel, Israel, Pharaoh's army chasing the Israelites into the Red Sea, God miraculously parting that sea, and then it closing in on Pharaoh and his army. God leading his people through the wilderness with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, providing manna for food and water for drink, keeping their clothes and their shoes from wearing out for 40 years as they walk through the wilderness. All of these miraculous deeds the psalmist points the Israelites back to reminding them that God is faithful. Remember what God has done. His steadfast love endures forever. Look to the past to find hope in the present. Because again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thirdly, the psalmist points us to The conquest of the promised land, verses 17 through 22. He brings us from the exodus to the entrance into the promised land. When the Israelites, led by Joshua after Moses, took the land that God had promised to Abraham 700 years earlier. 
And he highlights here in verses 17 through 22, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sahon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. God reminds his people here of all that he had done in bringing them into the promised land. He highlights two kings specifically. He highlights Og, and he highlights uh, highlights, um, Sahon. And why these two particular kings? Well, the, the blue outline there at the top, that was the eastern side of the promised land. That became the eastern tribe of Manasseh. And then Sahon at the bottom, that became the tribes of Gad and Reuben. But here's the thing, as the Israelites were coming into the promised land, they first had to go through these two mighty kings in order to overtake the rest of the land. And so the psalmist highlights these victories that God had helped his people win. He goes on to highlight the next gracious blessing in Israel's history. In verses 23 through 24, he points the Israelites back to the period of the judges. He says in verse 23 and 24, it is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. What was this low estate? The low estate he's talking about here is the period of the judges. That period we studied this winter together here at Lakes Free. That 400-year period where Israel went through this repeated cycle of idolatry and bondage and repentance and then God delivering them through judges, bringing them back to freedom, and then Israel falling into this cycle again and again, right? And yet God says it is he who remembered us in our low estate, in our period of rebellion. It is he who delivered us. How did he deliver them? He sent them deliverers, judges, people like Deborah and Samson and Gideon, right? These great judges we studied throughout the winter. God says, remember what I've done for you. Remember my faithfulness. The the next gracious blessing the psalmist points us to then is the blessing of God's common grace. In verse 25, The psalmist points out, he who gives food to all flesh. This is, friends, what theologians call common grace. It's the idea that God in his goodness conveys blessings not only on the righteous, but on the unrighteous. God provides not just for his people, but for all people. As he he who gives food to all, the psalmist says. There are all kinds of passages in Scripture that speak to God's common grace. Jesus himself spoke of God's common grace. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He, God, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's common grace. God bestows his grace on all people. Acts 14, 17, the Apostle Paul echoes these words. He says, yet God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Paul's talking to the Gentiles here, people who don't know the God of Israel, people who don't know Jesus Christ as God's Messiah revealed to humanity. But he says, God's been good to you. 
He's given you rain. He's provided crops. He's given you food. That's God showering his blessings out on you. And by the way, the same God who has provided common grace has also provided special grace because he's revealed to us himself personally in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus goes in Matthew 6, 26 through 30, and he says that this common grace doesn't just extend to humanity, it extends to all of creation. Look at look what Jesus says. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Why? It's his common grace. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Friends, these are all examples of God's common grace. And why does God do all of this? It's because as we saw back in verse 1, the Lord is good. It's simply who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. Our God is good to the righteous and the unrighteous. See, friends, all throughout the pages of history and all throughout the many wonders of creation, we see evidence of God's gracious blessings. And as we reflect on these blessings, we're reminded that the Lord is truly worthy of our praise. But there's one more reason the psalmist highlights here in Psalm 136 this morning. One more reason that should lead us into a spirit of thanksgiving. Look at verse 26 this morning. Verse 26 calls us to praise God for his grand bounty. His grand bounty. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Here in verse 26, the psalmist concludes his song by reminding us of God's place, his promise, and our posture. What is God's place? He is the God of heaven. Here the psalmist points us again to God's grandeur. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is the God of heaven. And what is his promise to us? His promise, as we've seen repeated 26 times throughout this passage, his promise, friends, is that his steadfast love endures forever. This is the bounty that God offers us. Friends, what a bounty to know this God, to live in a personal relationship with this God, this grand God of heaven who offers us this unfathomable bounty of steadfast love which endures forever. That, that word steadfast love in the Hebrew is a very special word to the people of Israel. It's the word hesed. And, and this word hesed translated as steadfast love, it can also be translated as covenantal love or faithful love or loyal love or loving kindness. It's a love that does not quit. God's steadfast love endures forever. Friends, let me ask you this morning, what challenges are you facing today? What obstacles are in your path? What trials are you wrestling with? 
What burdens are you carrying? No matter what they might be, you can hold fast to this promise. God's steadfast love endures forever. What is our posture in response to all of this? Give thanks. We are to be a people of thanksgiving. Why? Because God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Now, friends, I want you to recognize something here. Verse 26 may be the final line of Psalm 136, but in another sense, this is a song that never truly ends. You see, because God's steadfast love endures forever, we're never going to run out of reasons to sing. We're never going to run out of causes for which to give thanks. As we've seen earlier this summer, Psalm 96.1 tells us, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Why do we have new songs to sing to the Lord? It's because, as Lamentations 3 reminds us, His mercies are new every morning. And so every single day, friends, we have cause to sing to the Lord because he is good. His mercies are new every morning. What reasons do you have to give thanks today? I bet if you think about it long enough, you'll discover you have an abundance of reasons to give thanks. You might be in the deepest pit of your life this morning, but you still have reason to give thanks. The 19th century Scottish free church minister Alexander White was especially known for his uplifting prayers in the pulpit. He always found something for which to give thanks. One Sunday morning, the weather was so cold and gloomy that one church member showed up and he thought, surely the preacher won't think of anything to be thankful for on a wretched day like this. Much to his surprise, however, Reverend White began by praying We thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. I thought that's pretty good. I'm going to remember that this next January. We thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. Friends, there's always a reason to give thanks because God's steadfast love endures forever. The next time you're struggling to give thanks, I want to encourage you to do three things. Number one, look around. Look around. Because his mercies are new every morning. Number two, look back. Look back to God's history. Look back to his work in your life because I believe you're going to recognize great is his faithfulness. And number three, look up. Because he is good. That's who our God is. Friends, why does God give us passages like Psalm 136? It's because while we may be forgetful creatures, God wants us to know that he never forgets us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of this special song that you gave to your people of Israel that we have the privilege of having in our, in our Bibles. These special reminders of your faithfulness throughout history, your faithfulness in creation, your goodness, your steadfast love. Lord, as we think about who you are and all you've done, I pray that we too might be inspired to greater acts of praise, greater acts of worship, greater acts of service in response to your amazing grace and your faithful love. 
your love that endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us these precious promises, and I pray that we would embed these truths deep into our hearts. I pray that we would remind ourselves of these truths each and every day. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. May these truths be hammered deep into our hearts and impressed securely into our souls so that we never forget who our God is and all that he's done. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we offer ourselves to you anew today. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand for our benediction this morning? Our benediction today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And now grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, and have a blessed week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.